All right, you have your Bible tonight, book of Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, and um, we're nearing the end of the book of Acts, and we've looked at it quite a bit, verse by verse, and these last several chapters, starting all chapter 22, chapter 23, you, you find that the Apostle Paul has steadfastly set his mind uh, to go to Jerusalem. Now, we've seen he went to Jerusalem, he was arrested there, he had to appeal to Caesar, and now he's been on his way to Rome. And by the way, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll solidify something with this in just a few moments out of chapter 23. Uh, and, and so he's on his way to Rome. In chapter 27, we ended the last part of that, where they were in a shipwreck, and Paul had warned them not to, uh, uh, to, to sail, and they did. Uh, anyhow, outside the warning of the man of God, and they've been shipwrecked, but they've all made it safe to land, by the way, as God told Paul they would. Now, there's some interesting things as we pick up in chapter 28 that I want to sort of bring out as we have in all of this. Every time we look at this, it's not just the journey, although it's a historically accurate journey. Uh, that's not really the reason God gave it to us. I mean, it's important to know that the accuracy of it. But there are biblical truths and principles that are taught uh, through the, the life and the actions of Paul and those that are with him. And so we're going to see several of those again tonight as we continue on toward the end of this, end of this book. Verse 1, And when they were escaped, then they knew the island was called Meltia. Now I want you to notice here that they've escaped from the shipwreck, and now they're on this island of Meltia. Now, so, so they've escaped. They're there. God's promise has been kept where God told Paul uh, that the ship would be lost, but that everybody would survive, and so they have. And boy, by the way, once again, God's word is always kept, and you find they're on the island. Verse 2, And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire, and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. Now that word uh, barbarous people there, that little phrase makes reference to this. Uh, it, it is, uh, first of all, a foreigner, or more particularly in this text, it is a non-Greek. That's all that means. It doesn't mean they were some sort of wicked, evil people. My, by the way, they gave them a lot of compassion on them here from this storm. And, and so they've, uh, uh, they, they've, they've kindled a fire, they've received all of them, and there's some heavy rain. Of course, you know they've been in this storm, this Eurocladon, which is a typhoon-type storm, and they've been in it for several days, uh, 14 days longer than that. And uh, so there's a heavy rain, and these people have now uh, received them to land. They've built a fire for them, trying to, uh, to, uh, to help them to dry out and to be warm. Now then, the next things that we're going to read, we're going to tie it to Mark chapter 16 in just a moment. Understand that what God is doing here and what God wants us to do is to spread the gospel. And He wants the Word of God to go forth. And one of the things that we're constantly trying to say is we have a perfect Bible. And, and, and it has to be confirmed in my heart and your heart. And it has to be confirmed in the hearts of people. And, and God done, has done something with the Word of God through the apostles, and he's about to do that with the apostle Paul here on this island of, of uh, Melita. He's about to do something. 
And, and, and so there's several verses that I want to read, and then I want to back up on them a little bit. But I want you to see there's two specific things that happen down through verse 10. And, and so I'm going to read that, and, and then we're going to bring those two things out. Then we're going to go to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to, we're going to mesh that with Scripture is what we're going to do. So we start reading uh, here in verse uh, number 3, and I'm going to read through verse 10, and then we're going to back those up, as I said, to Mark chapter 16. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit, when they, howbeit, they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked on a great while and so no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. And when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. Now, I want you to notice the, uh, what, what's happened here. They have uh, been in this uh, storm, and now they've lost the ship, and they've all escaped the land, and two things have now happened. One of them on the first, I mean, just the first initial hour or so that they're in land. Paul gathers a bundle of sticks to put them on the fire, and there is a viper comes out of that and latches on it. And by the way, a very venomous snake. Uh, it's a death sentence. It was those days. It is now if you don't get medical treatment quickly. And uh, the, the people, superstitious, reminds me of people around here, superstitious of a lot of things. And uh, they thought, well, he's a murderer, and uh, he's escaped the sea, but vengeance is, you know, he's, he's, he's going to die anyhow. Well, then after a while, he doesn't die. Now they change their minds. Well, he's a, he's a god. He should have died, but look what's happened to him. He's a god. Then, within three days, Paul heals uh, Publius' father. And then they bring all of the ones on the island who are sick. And so there's a, a lot of folks that are healed. So there's two things that's taken place. The power of God has been manifested. First, by this snake that bit, this viper that bit Paul, and no harm came to him. And secondly, by all of these folks now that have been healed. Now, what is the purpose of all that? Now, put something here. I want you to go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, the, the, the last several verses of Mark chapter 16, um, uh, is, are, are some great passages of Scripture. We're going to start reading in verse 14. And as we're reading, the, we're going to read through the end of, 
of, of this book and the end of this uh, gospel, end of the chapter. And we're going to see some things, and, and I'm going to show you something that's important for us to understand about why Paul had that power. Why did God have that ability? Why don't we have it today? And what was the purpose of it? And why did God use that in that manner? And it's answered all right here in this in, in these last few verses, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and the hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Now I want you to notice in verse 14, get the setting. It's important to get the setting. Jesus now has resurrected from the dead. It's great, powerful bodily resurrection. And he has shown himself alive to some folks, and the disciples now are having a hard time believing that. Now that's, sometimes you read a text like this and it's hard to really comprehend that. I mean, we just think, we, we believe the resurrection and it's the, the power of the resurrection. It proves that Jesus is God and that the gospel is true. And, but they, they were struggling with that. And so Jesus comes into their midst. And I want you to notice, because it'll help you understand the rest of this text, if you'll notice what he says, he upbraided them for their unbelief. And so Jesus is dealing with the lack of faith of the apostles that he would actually rise from the dead as he told them he would. So he's dealing with their unbelief, the eleven. So he's dealing with them, and he's dealing with their unbelief. Now then, watch what he says. He gives the Great Commission again. And he said to them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, now he has given them the gospel. And they're to go into the world and to see people saved and baptized. By the way, the, the baptism here comes after the belief. And uh, like it always has in all the Bible, it doesn't wash away sin. Uh, it is an act of obedience because we're saved. And so he gives them the great commission. But now pay attention in verse 14. He is upbraiding them for their unbelief. And now he's going to tell them the power that they're going to have if they'll believe him. And then we're going to see why. Now watch what he says in verse number uh, 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. So he's dealing with their unbelief. And he says, now if you will do what I ask you to do, then these signs are going to follow you. Now what are they? And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not, uh, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, we find in these two verses all kinds of things that he says... And these signs are going to follow them that believe. And it lists these things. By the way, that, that, that's not for us. You say, well, we believe. Uh, we, we've got some uh, crazy nuts in this part of the country, up in these uh, Appalachian Mountains and up in this area that believe in handling snakes and drinking strychnine. Unfortunately, they call themselves Baptists. I wish they'd call themselves something else. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that there's no Bible for that. And they want to point to passages like this. Now, I'm going to prove to you that, that this is for the apostles. And I'm going to prove to you what in the next couple of verses and why God gave them this ability. And I want you to notice what it says in verse 19 and 20. 
So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. That was the ascension. That's where Christ is tonight. Verse 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Now I want you to notice the purpose that God gave them that power. You see, we, we have in our possession tonight a completed canon of Scriptures. We have the, the New Testament. They had the Old Testament at that time. They, they, they had all of the Old Testament. And uh, they, they had those 39 books of the Old Testament. It was completed at that time, that Masoretic text. But when this was given, uh, and, and whenever the, the, the setting we just read about right after the resurrection, there was not one word, not one jot, one tittle written of the New Testament at that point. And, and God is going to give the 27 books of the New Testament. And these men, as far as the world is concerned, these unlearned men, that all they could say about them is they took note they had been with Jesus, are going to be used of God to give us our New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament. And so they're going to write the Word of God. They're going to do it, by the way, by inspiration. It's not something of their own thinking, their own volition, but it's going to be the Holy Ghost of God moving on them and them pinning down verbatim, jot for jot, tittle for tittle, the inspired Word of God. And God gave them power to confirm that this book is from God. And, and, and that's why they had that power. They had the power to uh, do the things that he just mentioned here, to lay hands on the sick and to take up serpents and to drink deadly things. Now, not, not, not as a showboating, but how do they take up serpents? It's not because they have them in some box. They bring them up on stage and reach down there and get them up. And, and there's some of these folks around here that still do these kind of things. And uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to move off what I was thinking there. Uh, <laughs> Let's move off of that. Uh, that's not what he gave them that power for. It was exactly what happened in Acts 28 there. Paul didn't know that thing was in those sticks. If he had, he wouldn't have picked it up. He might have took one of them sticks and beat it to death, but he wouldn't have picked it up. And, and, and so he picks it up and he puts it on a fire and this viper comes out and latches on his hand. Now, by the way, pay attention. All of those barbarous people seen that. They seen that. They think, well, he's going to die now. And he didn't die. And when he didn't die, they say, man, he must be a god. Well, he's just a sinner saved by grace, but he is an apostle. And God did allow him uh, to give us 14 books of our uh, New Testament. And so now here they're seeing someone that is power that they've never seen in their lives. And he's going to speak and they're going to pay attention to him. Then the next thing God does is God allows him to heal, lay hands on the sick and heal all of these folks. And what does that do? Here these people are. And the Apostle Paul at that point was headed to Rome 
He'd already been in prison for over a couple of years at Caesarea there. He's now headed to Rome for another at least two more years before he's beheaded. And God is giving him the epistles, what we call the Pauline epistles. He's already written some. He's going to write some more. He's preaching the Word of God. And, and he's giving the gospel. And, he's, and what God is doing is confirming that this man is a man of God. And what he says is God's Word. By the way, it changes lives. So we see all of that in those first ten verses of Acts 28 is really fulfilling what Jesus would said would happen to the apostles. And, and, and we don't have that power. Uh, we're not supposed to have that power. By the way, let me give you something here. Uh, you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 or 13 with me just a moment. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, uh, I feel a need to clarify some, this a little bit more. Now, if you're familiar with your Bible at all, you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a chapter on charity, what charity is and what it isn't. And by the way, these perversions change that to love, and it takes away from what that actually is, and it just takes away the full content and meaning of it. And it's charity, and, and uh, uh, great truth in that. But what I want to do is I want to go down uh, to verse number 8. And I want you to see something that God says uh, here uh, by inspiration of the Apostle Paul, and it's going to con concern these gifts and these powers. And so we'll start reading in verse number 8. Charity never faileth, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Uh, where there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, pay attention to those things. It says the prophecies are going to fail. Now, by the way, there's a lot of prophecies that's not been fulfilled in the Bible yet. And that does not mean that the prophecies of the Bible are going to come to naught. That they're not going to happen. The ability to prophesy is going to cease. By the way, it says tongues will cease. Man, people talking more now than they ever have. <laughs> Uh, so what is it saying? It's going to cease. Well, what happened in, in, in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Ghost indwelt them for the first time, and they were baptized with uh, fire from heaven, and they began to speak with other tongues, which the word tongues, by the way, is an understood language or dialect. It is not some sort of gibberish that nobody, that the person speaking it understands clearly what they're saying. But in Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter preached in some Hebrew and everybody heard it in their own native language. And he says, that's going to cease. That's not going to, that's not going to continue to happen. So the, the, there's the prophecies or the ability to prophesy of future events is going to cease. And, and the ability to be able to communicate to somebody and God miraculously change it from your mouth to their ears, and they hear in their own language, that's going to cease. And then the last thing it says in the end of verse number 8, and there be knowledge, it shall, be it shall vanish away. Now, by the way, we still have knowledge. It is, it's not vanishing, although I think that sometimes our country is getting dumber every day. 
uh, mentioned something just a minute ago about the Word of God. It's an amazing thing. I had a discussion with somebody this week uh, about our King James Bible. And uh, somebody came here and asked me a question. I opened up this case out here and showed them a couple things. And uh, they said, well, you know, uh, there's just a lot there that's hard to understand. I said, you know, uh, there's a great truth here. It bothers me that whenever you don't understand a word, that you're, instead of having a, a larger vocabulary and learning the word, you want to do away with the word and get something easier to understand. I said, you know, I, I, when I was in school, we always had what they called vocabulary. They're teaching us new words. I, I, why don't you learn what the word means rather than trying to do away with the word? Why, why don't you learn that? I said, we, we've, uh, I picked up something uh, not, not long ago. Uh, Davy Crockett was from Jamestown up here, and there's a little bit of connection uh, with some family stuff there. And uh, he wrote a journal every day of his life. By the way, I had to go get a dictionary to look up some of the words the guy wrote. And, and, and I'm thinking, if an old, what you think is a dumb woodsman writes a journal, and I have to go get a dictionary to look up his, what he's writing sometimes, I don't need to rewrite it. I just need to think, man, if he could learn it, I could learn it. And if his mama taught him that, then we can teach our kids that. And, and, and so you find that he says this knowledge is going to vanish away. What does that mean? We're going to have knowledge, and I'm afraid we're, we are losing a lot of our ability to communicate because we're losing our vocabulary. And there's a truth in that. We, need to, we, we don't need to be satisfied with that, nor do we need to attack the fact that we're losing our vocabulary. We need to learn it more. But what does it mean when it says knowledge will vanish away? Well, here the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, they have knowledge that no one else has because they're able to give the inspired Word of God. There will come a time that that will cease. Now why? So those three things are going to come to an end. You think I've lost all this, and I have not. I want you to follow this. So those three things are going to have an end. When are they going to have an end? Verse 9. Look in verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. We don't know it all. We, 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 and, and he clarifies that, verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. He's, now, now, by the way, he says... When that which is perfect has come. And, and uh, I remember when, after I got saved, and I'm hearing some guy preach about this. I'm a teenager. And, and he said, well, that's the Word of God. And as I got older, I thought, that can't be right. Because when this is being written, Jesus, who is... Because he said, well, it's talking about Jesus. And I thought, well, that can't be right. It's got to be making something else because Jesus had already been born in Bethlehem's manger. He had already lived 33 and a half years. He had already went to Calvary and been crucified and buried and resurrected and ascended to heaven. He's already come, finished what needed to be done on Calvary, ascended back to heaven. He's already come. So what's it making reference to? It has to be making reference to something else when it says when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Well, that which is in part is the prophecy, tongues, and word of knowledge. Now why? Keep reading. Next verse. 
When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, and I became a man, I put away childish things. He says, you know something? There, there comes a point of maturity. And when you're a child, you speak and act like a child, and you become an adult, you ought to speak and act like an adult. You ought to, by the way, every once in a while I have to tell some of these guys around here, you just need to man up and be a man. And you need to you put away the childish things. Well, that's true spiritually. But it's also true with what he's saying about the Word of God. I keep reading. Next verse. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. He says, we, we, we can't truly see it all now. It's like looking through a dark glass, through a smoky glass. But when that which is perfect has come, then I'll be able to see it. Now I don't know it all. When that which is perfect has come, then I'll understand it all. It is making reference to the completed canon of Scriptures. When the Apostle John finished the Word of God on the Isle of Patmos, and the, the canon of Scripture was completed, the New Testament was completed, there's not been any more need of any signs. There's not been any more need to confirm the Word. We now have the Word that was confirmed with the signs God gave the men whom He gave it to. And so we have a completed can of Scriptures. The only prophecy that I'm going to have now is what I read about in God's blessed book. The only thing that I need to understand about tongues is God's given us a book with all that we need in it. The knowledge that I need about God is finished. And, and now, by the way, I can see myself clearly as God sees me. And I can see what God's going to do because it's no longer, it's no longer hidden. I, I can see it. It's in, the, it's in the Word of God. And so God then has given this. This is a perfect book. And so what was happening in Acts chapter 28 is the Apostle Paul is continuing to write the Word of God. And God is now giving the signs to confirm that this man is one of the men that God has chosen to give us an inspired, infallible, perfect book. And you know what it does? It changes a whole island, just like it changes lives. These people now have seen a man that they thought was a god. He has been able to have a viper bite him, and he shook it back off into the fire. They have seen him heal people by praying over them and laying his hands on them. And you know what that did? That paved the way that when he preached to them Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, they believed it. When he gave to them the word of God, they believed it. And that's why God gave the signs. He, he didn't give the signs for like these folks use them today to try to act like, look what I'm doing, and it's a, it, it's a show. And, and Jesus doesn't have the preeminence and all things Christ ought to have the preeminence. He doesn't have the preeminence in that. They have the preeminence in that. 
You, you, you find in this what's happening in these first ten verses. Is God is fulfilling, Jesus is fulfilling what He told the apostles. If you would just believe in me as apostles, this is what I'll do with you. And He did it. By the way, some of the other apostles had this same kind of power. Why they have that power? Not to make any lifting up of them so the Word of God could be confirmed. And that's what they did it for. It's what God did it for. Now I want you to notice something next verse, verse number 11 of Acts 28. And so you see what those two things God did. It fell in line with Mark chapter 16. And we see why, and, and I hope I've cleared, made some sense with that. But verse number 11, I want you to see how long they stayed there. And it says, And after three months, we departed into the ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, under whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And so now they stayed there three months. That's because they were had tried to sail when the time of sailing was past, which is late September. We saw that last week. It was the time of the fast. And, and, and so now... They've stayed there three months. Spring has sort of come on now. And there's another ship that had got caught and it had wintered there. And so now they are going to leave. They've been there three months. And so at the end of verse 10, whenever it says that those people, when they left, they gave them what they needed, that was a three-month stay. And people have been healed. And the Word of God has been preached. And, and God has used him there, no doubt about that. And it's interesting, they leave under this sign, and if you look at that, uh, whose sign was Castor and Pollux, uh, that was, uh, you go out and look up at the, what we call the constellations, Gemini, that's what that's making reference to, and those folks believe that had power, and more than likely, one of two things happened on this ship. They either had something painted on it, of Castor and Pollux, or they had two two brass things on the front of the ship, and that's all that means there. And, and they wintered there, and, and they left under that. And what did they do? Next verse. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried three days. Now they're on the final leg to Rome. And it's been a long time now. They've been through a lot of problems. Next verse. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regum. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Portoboli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. Verse 14 is an interesting verse. They, they, they're, they're on their way now to Rome, and when they get here, there's some brethren and desire them to stay. So they stay seven days, and then they went toward Rome. Now, when you think about this, man, who's in charge of this ship? Paul or the centurion? Do you understand what I just said? He don't have a choice how long the ship stays there. He's a prisoner. I'll tell you what's happened over the course of the last three months. Some old centurion and the other soldiers have recognized this man has more power than the fellow we're serving in Rome. And if he wants to stay seven days, we're staying seven days. There's great truth in that. By the way, 
Do you know what ought to happen with you and I? The people that we're around, we ought to influence them toward Christ. We ought to be able to influence them to help them see Christ and to follow Him. A little earlier than this, if you remember, a little old, probably close to four months now earlier, they started to sell and Paul said, I don't think we ought to sell. And they ignored him. And they get to Righam here and he says, I'd like to stay seven days here. Yep, I think we'll stay. Great truth in that. And you and I ought to have such a character and such a testimony that people know that we love Jesus and we're just trying to follow the Word of God. That's what we're doing. That's what he did. But I find something else interesting here in the next few verses. Verse 15, And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as uh, Apiphil, and the three ta- Api- I didn't say that exactly right. I left a part of it out. Apiphurum and the three rivers, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. I have that little phrase underlined in my Bible. I want you to notice something here. Here is the great Apostle Paul that God is giving the Word of God to. He's confirmed it. All of these signs. And I want you to notice that when these other believers come to Him, no doubt He's encouraging them, but He said, Paul thanked God and took courage. Now here's the truth. Every one of us as believers need others to encourage us in our walk. And if the Apostle Paul took courage because some other believers encouraged him, it's not a weakness if you and I need courage from time to time from other believers. Every once in a while, I just need somebody to help me take courage. And you ought to thank God for those folks God brings your way. And that's what Paul did here. I think there's a great truth in that. And I underline that. There's a message in that probably. There's a great truth there. Next verse. And we came to Rome. The centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And by the way, they've come to Rome. The other prisoners are sent to prison, but not Paul. He has suffered, he is allowed to dwell by himself in a house. Now I'm just about done for tonight, but I want you to turn back, if you will, with me uh, in, in just a little bit to chapter 20. Uh, no, chapter, where am I at? I didn't write this down like I ought to have wrote this down. Chapter 18. And I want to go back there just a minute and want to see something. And you're going to find... Uh, what did I do? I have not done... I can't believe I did what I did here. It was chapter 23. I had it right to start with. Chapter 23. I want you to see something. Now all of this time, the Apostle Paul has been in and out of all of these things. Now he's at Rome. And I want you to notice something. I said this several weeks ago. 
Verse 11 of chapter 23. And then I following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, thou must bear witness also at Rome. You know what's taking place right over here in, when we come to uh, chapter 28 and verse 16? That has been fulfilled. It has taken quite a while. It has taken a lot of turns and danger and power of God. But God has kept what He promised. And He's there. Now next week we're going to pick up here and end this thing. But I want you to notice something. I'll end with this note. You and I have in our possession a perfect Bible. And what God has promised, He will keep. Just like He kept what He promised to Paul, He will keep what He promised to us. By the way, it starts with salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that a great truth? Isn't it a great truth that He'll meet our needs and that He'll help us and He will keep what He's promised because you can trust the infallible, inspired, preserved Word of God. What a great truth. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here tonight.